Hello again, and welcome back to Enterprise Linux Security, which is actually my favorite security podcast <laughs> because, you know, I'm not biased at all. How are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Jay. Yeah, as always, it's a pleasure. And I also have to agree with you, and I'm not biased either. So, yeah, best podcast out there. Um, today yeah. we have something that's actually not that uh, such a happy event. Um, mm -hmm. We're looking at the, the result of a ransomware infection on a manufacturing company. And we usually talk about this stuff and how it's, it can be devastating and how it can affect all your systems and all of that. But we look at it from a technical angle. This will give you more of an insight into the actual business damages that something like this can cause and the actual problems that you'll face and how it might even bankrupt a company. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I have to, you know, really focus on the positive and try and be as in, in good of a mood as I can when I'm talking about a story like this, because this is very, very sad. I feel really bad for this company and the people that work there. And as we were talking off camera, we'll have a link to the article or at least one of them. I think there might be some kind of a paywall on this one. I'm not trying to get people to um, pay for it. But if you look at the thumbnail of the video that's on the page, um, it's really hard to be happy around somebody that looks that sad. And, and rightfully so, that person lost his business. And that is yeah. a horrifying thing, to, for, especially for me right now, being first year, that's really hard to think about. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, um, an interview that Mr. Dane Drake from United Structures of Amer America, which is a steel manufacturing company, um, he gave this interview to the Wall Street Journal. It's up in the Wall Street Journal's website. Um, well, the article is paywalled. It's just a, test, a transcript of the video, and you can watch the, can actually watch the, the whole video without paying anything. So, oh. take a look at that um, at that interview. It's very very interesting if you're into this. So, we're going to give you the the basic gist of it, and we're going to go over some of the interesting points there in the in that interview, so that we can actually all learn a bit from it. And there's a lot um, to learn. And there's a lot to learn. And, and there's a lot to learn even about the, the basics, because like we said a few episodes back, we tend to live in a bubble where all we see is new technology and all of that. But then in the, in the real world, people are missing just the basic stuff. So in 2019, which is when this happened over Memorial Day weekend in the US, um, the company got infected by ransomware. Being a, a long holiday, nobody was on, on premises. And when they came into the office, when this guy, Mr. Dan Drake, comes into the office the, the next day, he realizes that about 80% of the systems, uh, and he's only looking at personal workstations, which are about 400 of them, had been that had been left running during the long weekend, were acting strange. And they were showing ransomware messages. You know, the ones that are, appear on your screen when you get infected and just ask for a ransom and all of that. And yeah. <laughs> that's not the, the best way to start your day when you're coming off a, a relaxing holiday like that. No, no. <laughs> so the first action that they took, and that was actually pretty reasonable, was to dis disconnect from the network all the systems that were not left powered on during the, the weekend. And that's actually pretty sensible for a few different reasons. First, it spreads the, the infection. It prevents the spread of the infection to unaffected systems. And second, it lets you try to salvage some information that might be present locally on those workstations. After you deal with all the other problems, you might still be able to salvage something there. And 
We're talking about a guy who's an, uh, an executive at the company. He's probably the first on, on, on premises and the first to look at his computers. And you have to keep in mind that this is a manufacturing uh, company. They don't have an IT focus. They don't have a large IT staff, if any. He mentions at one point that they had had the previous virus infection that had affected business operations for about a day. And at that time, he did hire a couple of people for IT for dealing with I don't know, the, the usual maintenance and patching operations on workstations and all of that. And he had hired an outsider, uh, an outside company to do server administration for them. Um, at the same time, he had acquired some backup solution. And we'll get back to the, the backup solution in a bit because it, it's going to be a, a critical aspect to this story. Mm -hmm. But after looking at the, the workstations, he he remembers that it's not just workstations that they have at the company. They have about 15 servers, including email and accounting and, you know, the, the basic servers that you would have, like um, authentication and all of that. And, yeah, it turns out that systems like accounting are pretty important to a business. If you yep. lose the way to track your payments due and payments to be received and all that, you're in a very bad position to continue doing business. Additionally, it was not just those systems that got affected. The, the manufacturing equipment that is also connected to the internet, and we've talked about IoT before and all, all those things, but industrial equipment has been connected to the network far longer than the IoT sync. We have had uh, sensors running on manufacturing assembly lines and all of that for quite a few years, even before people started to talk about IoT. And those are probably running some type of operating system. The very old ones will probably be running something like Windows XP or something like that that will never see an update in their lifetime. So they're easy prey for something like this. As soon as somebody gets into the network, those are the systems that are just wide open for them to, oh, to yeah. affect. And <laughs> if you're just if you're someone that's listening to this and you're rolling your eyes and remembering, oh, I have a couple of those. Yeah, you might want to stick around and hear the, the whole story because you'll yep. have some work to do tomorrow. So, yeah, um, the internal IT staff provided some initial support. This was a manufacturing company, so they either didn't have the right knowledge, the right tool, or the right know-how on how to handle something like this. So they did get some outside help to, to try and assess the situation and see if there is any way that they can recover. Um, so even with their server team, they actually, and there's a series of events that happen here that just pile up on top of the initial problem. The, the server support company that they got from that earlier event, um, and you probably have that on your business as well. There, you, you'll have support for equipment that you buy, uh, contracts, uh, agreements, and all of that, that will have some type of SLA. Mm -hmm. That will limit the both the number of calls you can make to them, and it will give you some window on how long they have to reply to your to your requests. And the thing here is that the their server administration that they were getting from an outside source did not respond on time. It took them a few hours to actually get a response from that team. And this is something that you need to consider when you're getting outside help for hardware, for software, for just administration tools, for whatever. 
um, keep an eye out on DSLAs. Keep an eye out on how long you have until uh, how long you have on your own until they actually have to provide you with help. This really compounded on the issue because it it made it the made their response a bit more slow than it should have been on this issue. And yeah, I guess we should pause here a bit and, and see how this can affect other companies because this is not yeah. something that will impact just these guys. Um, I'm sure you had some some people providing you with outsourced service where you work before and yeah. stuff like this happens. You ring them up and then they'll come back, get back to you a few hours later. And sometimes that's just too long. The hope is that you can ring someone up and they'll help you out and they'll bail you out of the problem or give you the magic fix if they know what it is. And uh, that's it's kind of like what you're hoping for. And, and a lot of companies, they want an agreement on everything. And I do mean everything. Yeah, but the, the main point here with the SLA is that you should have an expectation of how long you're going to be on your own. Right. Um, because when you're, con- when you're outsourcing uh, your administrative t- um, work to a to a different company, um, you need to know how long it's going to take them to respond to a critical event. And in this case, a very critical event. So if it's going to take them a day to give you a response and your manufacturing is completely stopped for a whole day while you're waiting for them to to respond, that's too long. And you need to have an SLA that provides you with the faster response time. You'll tell me, okay, but that's incredibly expensive. Yes, it is. It's yeah. absolutely expensive, and that's part of the the reason why some some companies make a lot of money. But when you need it, you won't think it's expensive. No, you definitely want to have that. And twenty four seven is even more expensive usually. That that's the yeah. most expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, getting back to these guys. Um, they had the the ransomware event. They had some outside source coming in, tried to help them. And later on the first day, they contacted the authorities. Um, This was less than ideal, Um, not only because it took them too long to report this, but remember, this is in 2019. There isn't still the the mandate that is now in effect in the US where you actually have to report this type of events within a specific time frame. Um, At the time, there wasn't this mandate. Um, But this took too long. And they reported it to their local police authority. That might not have been the the best uh, the best place to go to because they will probably either lack the resources, the know-how, or the ability to help you within a reasonable time frame. Yeah, it's just um, not what they do. It's just not the type of crime that they exactly. go after. Absolutely. So. Um, and this is a free advice, obviously. Um, keep handy the the contact information, for, say for CISA or for the the FBI for their digital crime uh, department. Um, mm-hmm. The worst thing that can happen is that you never ring that number. But if you ever see yourself in this situation, the last thing you want to do is spend any time looking for that information under pressure, being pressured by everybody and their their neighbor, and you want to get in touch with the authorities as soon as possible. They yep. may not be able to actually solve your problem, but they might be able to assist you in getting some compensation further down the line, and that will be important. Yep. And these guys didn't do that. Uh, so they went to local police, which didn't help that much, but that's what they did. So, yeah. they By middle of the day, they had already assessed the, the damages that were happening. So basically... As a manufacturing company, all the production had stopped. So 
everything was stopped. They were no longer processing seal. And that means that you have your employees sitting still and you're still paying them. So your costs are going up and your re revenue is going down and you are going to miss your deadlines. And missing your deadlines when you are manufacturing steel means that your customers, the ones that are build, creating buildings and doing other construction stuff, will also have to stop because they don't have the steel to continue to, to build. So this trickle-down effect, it, it's, it's very important. And it, this just adds up on the, the total cost of something like this. And this is exactly the same thing that happens on any industry. It's not just the, the manufacturing thing. As a soft experiment, while you're listening to this, try to think of what would happen if all your IT systems were down for a couple of days. How would that impact your business? What would have to stop on your end? Um, what activities would be, would be affected by that? Um, how would that affect your customers? If you're doing business to business, how would, that, how would this affect the customers of your customers? How would it affect your payroll costs? Would you still be able to pay your employees? Would you still be able to receive payment from your, from your customers? How would this impact the trust that the market has on your company? Yep. After you considered all of this, write it down. Title it risk assessment report. Send it to your manager. Tell him this is just the first draft, but that's an important document for your company. These are the types of questions that you should be asking yourself and that you should have the answer for readily, because this is something that doesn't just happen to other people. These guys, they went under after this event. The company filed for bankruptcy and no longer exists. So yeah, knowing what can go wrong will help you solve some of those issues. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you're in management, um, you know, you could talk to other managers of other departments and, and ask them how they and their departments, their team members would be affected by this. And if that department actually deals with customers, then, you know, they, they of course can answer that for you. But you're, you're there to help the company survive, right? I mean, obviously it doesn't live or die by you alone, but, you know, when it comes to systems, you have to know, like you said, exactly what's going to happen or what could happen if uh, something like this was to happen and your systems weren't available for a while. Yeah. After you look at the risk assessment report, and again, this is more important than it looks at face value. This is something that's really useful for a company. You can extend this by further adding there, what will it take to get operations back in order again after something like this happens? Factoring the costs for new equipment, the time it takes to deploy the applications that you're using currently, the time it takes to restore from backups to get the data back there again, and the time it takes to check that everything is running properly again, and now, now title that new document, Disaster Recovery Plan. And again, send it to your manager as a first draft. Yep. Those two documents, they will save your rear end. They will absolutely do that. And it raises awareness as well, because it, especially for the people that have to approve those documents, they have to read them and, oh, wow, that would be really bad if that happened. And everyone starts to understand the situation better. Yeah. Okay, so put yourself on the shoes of this guy. Um, he's looking at his whole assembly line stopping and he's looking at their screens just saying that you need to pay us two Bitcoins per system to get everything back up again. There's, there's 400 workstations, 15 servers, and two Bitcoins per server. 
uh, for sy- per system. A lot of money. We're, we're talking about 2019. Bitcoins were around 30K at the time. So this is almost $25 million to get oh your, your own systems back online again. It's a lot of money. The, the outside help that he was getting, they gave them this advice. They're not going to recommend paying it, but they would understand his decision either way. So it's too much money to pay for all of the systems. The guy ends up paying the ransom for only two systems. Um, so he has to get four bitcoins. <laughs> and this is a manuf- again, this is a manufacturing company. They don't have a focus on IT. If you're looking at the company that say a financial institution or a healthcare or a service, they won't have just 15 servers. They can have thousands of servers. They can have hundreds of other systems. Imagine the costs that something like this will rack up. And it keeps piling on and on and on to all the losses that you're suffering at the same time. So, yeah. Um, They did get in touch with the attackers and the communication was something to the effect, okay, you have this many hours, pay up or we leave. Now, being in this position, this type of communication, this is absolutely brutal. (laughs) This will demoralize you immediately. You don't have many options. So you have to end up paying something to at least to try to get the, the critical date. I'm not advising anybody in this situation to pay up. You should immediately contact the authorities and follow their advice at the time. Um, right. Please don't take this as you should pay. But no. being in their position without proper advice, without the, the proper authorities guiding them, this was the best that they had at the time and this was the response that they went through. So it almost so, seems like it, it's down to... Um, give money to the enemy or lose your data. You know, yeah. you're reinforcing the enemy and what they're doing because if nobody ever pays the hackers anything ever and they never make a single dollar, why continue doing it? But the more money they make, the more incentive there is to do it by paying them. Yeah. You're giving them an incentive to do it. So it's either give them incentive or lose your data, but you still could lose your data even if you do pay them. Yeah, because there's no assurance that you'll even get the encryption keys to, to right. decrypt the data. Uh, so you might just be throwing money into the wind at this point. Um, and the payment was another learning experience for them. They had no experience with Bitcoin. They had no wallets. They had no knowledge of how to acquire Bitcoins or how to send them. So they had to go through all of these steps just to be able to meet the ransom for those two systems that they wanted to salvage. They probably just and, need to call like you know any thirteen-year-old in the area to explain that to them. <laughs> <laughs> probably that yeah. was probably something, but again, you're looking at the countdown clock that says that when this reaches zero, your data is gone. Okay, and now you have to go through all the steps of creating a Bitcoin wallet which is not that complicated if you know what you're doing. And if you know what you're doing here is the the key. And then you had to find some service that would sell you the Bitcoins and you have to register to that service. And interesting point here, if you're doing this from scratch, if you don't have an account on an exchange or something like that to exchange dollars for Bitcoins, you're going to have to register and you're going to have to present proof of identity. Uh, all the registries, the, the exchanges now will, will demand that. Um, and that has to be manually verified on the other end. And that takes time. And mm. the clock doesn't stop going down just because you're waiting for approval from the exchange. You still have to meet the deadline. So this gets tricky really fast uh, because 
<laughs> it's a rock and the hard place situation here. <laughs> you decided that you want to pay the ransom, but now you have to go through the motions to actually be able to deliver on the payment. And it's not that simple. Um, it probably wouldn't hurt to have a wallet around just with zero balance in case one day you actually find yourself in this situation and you decide that you need to pay something. To If you don't register, at least know how that is done so that you could act faster on this situation. And again, I'm not advocating that you pay, but you might want to be prepared for all contingencies. If it's the absolute cure for cancer that has gotten encrypted right now, you want to get that back at whatever cost, maybe. Um, you might want to write down how that is done and you might want to already have a wallet at zero Bitcoin balance somewhere so that you can act faster in this situation. So, <laughs> and funnily enough, the, the guy describes his process to actually acquiring the Bitcoins and he says he bought Bitcoins through Western Union and that he ended up sending money to Colombia and to Palestine to get Bitcoins. I don't see how that is done, but... Wow, um, that raises some humongously huge red flags right there. <laughs> First, for all defenders of crypto, as a as a good way of exchanging money, and then just for, I mean, yeah, if it isn't obvious why this is a problem, I, there's no way I can explain it. Yeah, and I think there's more. There could even be additional problems and multiple layers of problems that that would cause, and. Smaller laws that could be breaking, bigger laws that could be breaking. Um, there's a there, there's a lot going on here. There's, there's yeah, the, this this can get very very hairy, even more really quickly. In the U.S., and I've heard other people complain about that. You can't send money to some countries. The, your axis of evil thing. Um, you will get a call from the State Department asking what the hell you're doing, sending money here or there, if you decide to, to get this type of thing. Um, yeah. So that's something else you want to be aware of. Um, but yeah, another interesting thing happened. Uh, the guy made the payment through Western Union, apparently, and was supposed to receive the Bitcoins the day after. Again, I don't know how this process was actually going to happen. My experience with this was just through exchanges and it never took this long or demanded this type of thing. But apparently he sent enough money to buy two Bitcoins in one day. During the night, the price jumped 10%, so he ended up being short. So mm. he got in touch with the, the attackers again and they graciously offered him 24 extra hours before deleting the keys so that he could come up with the, the rest of the, the Bitcoins because they didn't want the equivalent yesterday of two Bitcoins. They wanted two Bitcoins today. Mm. <laughs> and let's remember ourselves that we're talking about 30K per Bitcoin. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, additional things that happen here in this situation. From their earlier event with that virus that they experienced, they had acquired the backup solution or backup system, like I mentioned at the start. And they were acting during all of these, getting the Bitcoins, trying to recover systems all, and all of this. They were still acting under the impression that if they really had to, they could fall back into the backup system and they could restore some things. Which they should have tried first before paying the enemy. Just there saying, you go. You know. There you go. 
it's not the trying first. It's actually just trying. They should have actually tried their backups. And that right. is something that they didn't. Um, and just an attention, a reminder here, if you have a backup system that you've never tried to use, that you never tried to restore from or try to use as an actual backup, you have no backup. Okay? Right. You should default to always thinking that it's faulty until proven otherwise. That and should be your mindset around backups. I, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, you, and someone might think, like, why would that be such a common problem? Is backup software that bad where they're just constantly flipping bits and, you know, failing silently and all these things? Yes, backup software sucks. Yeah. All of yeah. it, okay? Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Even, I mean, even if you were to come up with your own custom rsync job that, you know, you're really proud of. I mean, even that can silently fail. So um, yeah, backup software is that bad and backups in general fail a lot. And I've seen it firsthand many times. Like you'd be shocked how often that happens. From the interview, you get the impression that it's not just backup of data. The, the guy doesn't come out and say it, but from the description and the answers that he gives, it seems to imply that it's also backup systems for the manufacturing equipment. Um, so additional servers or something like that that could just be brought online and they would replace the production servers and continue work operating as usual. Um, having that, that redundancy in place is actually a good thing. But if it's not at the level where you can simply switch to the backup one and take down the, the production one and nobody notices, if it's not at that point, it might as well not be there. Right. Um, you should. They should have at least tried to run, say, a week on the backup stuff just to see if it could actually hold the load and make sure that nothing failed during that time, make sure that people would still be able to perform their jobs. Um, they just had it. They acquired the backup system. They had it there. They relied on it being absolutely faultless and never failing and all of that. So when they decided to actually fall into the backup system and bring stuff online from the backup system, it didn't work. <laughs> so in their shoes, that's, again, that's brutal, that's painful. And this brings the human factor into the equation. Watching the, the interview, you can see that <laughs> The, the suffering that goes on in his, this guy's mind as he relates the, the events and as he describes what happened there. And at some points it's painful to watch because you see that the guy really cared about this and really cared about the company. Mm -hmm. And he's basically powerless to, to prevent this and to, to fix the problem. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's just horrendous. Yeah. So, yeah. And now, after some days of back and forth going into this and trying other avenues for solutions and all of that, they still couldn't bring their systems back online. They did manage to get the, the decryption keys for those two systems that they bought the keys for, but the others, they couldn't do anything. And the, the guys that they called in to help them out, they actually tracked down the, the source event and... <laughs> It was the sysadmin's laptop. Um, yep. This is where the gut punch happens, right here. Yeah. It was the sysadmin's laptop. The sysadmin laptop had remote desktop connections to all the servers, and it had, he had the guessable password. Turned out to be the address of the business. 
to add insult to injury, that password has been the same for the past six to eight years. And ouch. You are one of us. You are one <laughs> of us. Why? Why did you do that? Oh my gosh. That was painful. The guy says he's still it's friends with the sysadmin and that they still talk, but when he says that, you can see the the effort that he goes through to saying that. This is painful. Hearing this description, it's actually painful. In so many ways, because as a business owner, you're trusting the person that you're paying and, and trusting their character to not do things like this. I mean, here's the thing. I could kind of understand some mistakes that administrators make because we're all human, right? But I don't really think that I could ever look past a password issue like this. I just can't. I mean, that's one thing I I really don't think I could defend someone from. I mean, if, if you have a password that's, you know, the address of the company, um, that's really, really bad. And there's no sugarcoating that. It's just bad. And it doesn't really matter how long the, that address is. It might be 50 letters long. It doesn't matter. It's a guessable password anyway. Right. It's going to be in any... If any attacker wants to, to brute, force, brute force passwords and it's a, an attack tailored against your company, that's one of the things that they're going to try. Yeah. Um, it that's doesn't matter how long that's it just, is. That's the first yeah. step, is reconnaissance. Yeah, looking up the company address, okay, this looks fine, let's add this to the password list. Now let's try this against all the accounts. Yep. And the sysadmin failed that, and that's painful. Um, so that's one of the learning experiences that this guy took from the from everything that happened. And it's an important one. We discussed this before. It's password hygiene. Um, and it applies to everybody. I remember us making the point that nobody should be excluded from password hygiene and proper password security and rules and all of that. Not even the CEO at the time, we right. jokingly said that. And not even the IT team. And this is just one example of how bad it can be when the IT team makes these mistakes. Right. You're literally creating the weakest link in the IT department. Yeah. I don't know. The the only the only possible defense I might be I might say here is okay, this company again is manufacturing. They did not have that focus on IT, but this doesn't excuse it. No. If you're doing sysadmin roles, this is just the basics of the basic. Your password should be better than this. Yeah, I feel like you know, we we talk about passwords and patching all the time. Like, yeah. I, I feel like if I had a dollar for every time we mentioned either, like I, I, I'd probably have a lot of money. Um, and, and some people might be like, well, again, like this is, I mean, you're yeah. 34 episodes in and, and you're still again. And yes, we are, because here's yeah. a perfect case of why that's still a problem. And we don't want it to still be a problem. So we're going to keep repeating it until it's not a problem. And then we'll still repeat it, but just less often. Yeah, and, and if you're thinking that, why are we repeating this again? It's because of that security bubble and the real world stuff. It's because of that difference. When you're talking just to security people, sure, this is repetitive. You're hearing this for the thousandth time and you can't hear it anymore. And you can't hear people say, I don't know, um, <laughs> zero trust. You can't hear anybody say zero trust again without going crazy. Sure, but in the real world, the real companies, the, the people out there that, doesn't care about security, they just have a business to run and they couldn't care less about this. This is the kind of right. stuff that actually gets them. This is the kind of stuff that gets their business in trouble. 
And this is things that look obvious to us, but are not obvious to the common people. Yeah. And I'll say too, like, if you're coming on, you know, if you're like just hired on, right. Um, I could understand that there's security issues and you haven't even had the time on the job yet to have the number of working hours required to fix all the problems. I can understand that because you can't fix everything in one day, right? So some advice I like to give people, um, and I, I like to use the, if you're new to the job mentality, but just between us, if you're not new to the job, well, you still should do these things anyway. Focus on the backups first, test them first. First day on the job, how do I test the backups? Like, like how do we restore these? Do they work, right? Second is, in, this is all my opinion, but based on what I've seen, look for weak passwords, shoot them on site, shoot on site policy for all bad passwords. If you um, come across a password that's, you know, easily guessable, has, you know, information in there, change it. The next thing you do, if you uh, use Active Directory, let's be honest, a lot of companies use Active Directory, right? And yours probably does too. Go in there if you have the authority to do so, or at least let somebody know if you don't. But if you go in there, you'll, what you'll probably see is for the people in the IT staff and the IT team, you'll have a checkbox that says something like um, password never expires. And you'll have some bypass checkbox there. And I'm willing to bet, and this is a complete guess on my part, probably 75% of the time you'll find this. And then you could get rid of that right there. You know, the IT people, they probably themselves might have bad passwords. They're not above the, the law there and make the policies, you know, clear. There's no exceptions. And, but I think going back to the backup point, especially, um, here's the thing. I understand you got a lot going on in your personal life. You know, the world kind of sucks right now. Sometimes I get it. Um, you, you really want to get home and relax. You really do need to sit down and test those backups. There's no reason not to. And whatever you might be going through, being unemployed is definitely not something that you probably want to experience. And especially when it comes to reputation, um, you know, we all make mistakes. We are human, just to be fair. But if your name leaks out there, that's probably going to be it's probably going to be hard to find a job for you after that. So you, you don't want to be that person. Yeah, because any research from a possible employer will find this. Well, um, not even that. The press works the same way every single time. It's like, what happened? Let's, you know, clickbait articles about what happened. And then the second step is who do we throw under the bus? What's the name of the IT person? Actually, that's the third step because they throw the CTO under the bus first. And then they go after the... Um, you know, IT person, right? There's there's an order, and you'll notice this in the news <laughs> all the time. Um, you don't want that to get to you. And if it does, you know, if the argument is like, well, yeah, I told my boss that we need to change these passwords, and he overruled me and said under no circumstances that would take too much time. You know what? I get it. You were not allowed to do it. You didn't want to get fired. Um, and that might sound weird, but believe me, there's weird things like that. Either way, mm -hmm. test the backups passwords, make them great. No one gets around the password policies. Make sure there are policies. And these are all the things that you should do, you know, immediately first on your yeah. tenure at the job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, cover your bases and cover your mm -hmm. basic stuff. This is the basic of the basic. Um, yep. And email people too, like you were saying once before, like if you want to uh, make a yeah. request, if you see something that is insecure, 
And, um, you know, you get overruled. If you have an email, you have an email, you have a paper trail. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's critical. Um, You might be lucky and you might be working at some place where the trust level just doesn't require that. But having that written down will always be helpful. Um, Right. Okay. So hoping not to need it. You're hoping not to never to need that, obviously. Um, And basically what we discussed so far covers the the bulk of the interview. At the end of the interview, there are some interesting questions that uh, he was posed by people from the audience. I believe this was a live interview at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a couple of days. Uh, this happened a couple of days ago as we record this episode. Um, one of the, the interesting questions that I found there was he was asked that uh, if the company had the cyber, insur- uh, cyber security insurance. And he said, no, we don't have a cyber security insurance because we relied on our backup to cover our assets. And we fall into the same issue. A backup that's not tested is not a backup. It doesn't work. Um, You have to assume that it doesn't work until you actually deploy it. And that's true for any backup. That's true for backups of data, and that's true for backup systems, and that's true for backup people even. (laughs) If your sysadmin team all have to stay at home because they caught the, the thing that's going around right now, Who's your backup? Who is it going to cover for them? Do they know what they need to do? Do they have the right access? Do they have the information to do their jobs when they're covering for somebody else? That's backup that you also need to test. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yep. And he said he didn't have a cybersecurity insurance. Now, um, I recently wrote a, a piece for the TaxCare blog about cyber insurance. And... An interesting thing that was added to to cyber insurance policies a few months back in November, and this is interesting, it was added in November, was a clause that said that they did not cover damages related to war-related damages. And basically, Mm -hmm. I believe we already talked about this, and basically any cyber security event these days can be construed as an act of war. Um, it's impossible to track down the actual origin of an attack, so it might be someone from that country that's involved in all the mess right now. And <laughs> you have no way of proving otherwise, and the, the insurer will just walk away without paying your damages. So having a cybersecurity insurance, while it can help you in some situations, um, they do have an out and they might have a way not to pay you anything if you decide to claim it. But moving on, um, they were also asked about the existence or not of an incident response team on retainer. Um, An incident response team is the team that comes in when something like this happens and tries to collect evidence and tries to help you rebuild your systems and get stuff back in order again. They did not have that on internally. They did not have that on retainer, but they were able to secure one within a few hours of this happening. So these were the guys that were brought in to help them out, try to solve the problem, and were the ones that actually got in touch with the the attackers. So they were apparently doing their job well enough, the, the incident response guys. And one of the things that he did mention was he was amazed when the, the incident response team um, did a vulnerability check on the systems and were able to find a massive number of vulnerabilities present there. And this is the surprise that you will always have when you run your first vulnerability scan against your systems. They're wide open. The reason you haven't been hacked yet at this point in time is sheer luck. Yeah. I haven't gotten around to you yet. 
Yeah, you're still just a part of the lucky few. It will not last. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is, again, basic of the basics. You need to patch your system. If you want to find out how insecure things are in general, just um, bring your laptop and your smartphone with you to a security conference and make sure Wi-Fi is enabled. And you'll find out really quick just how you know vulnerable everything is. And that's just your local devices. I mean, scale that up in a business, you have a lot more devices. And yeah, it's absolutely that bad. <laughs> Funny, I was looking into Black Hat USA this year. Um, it's going to happen in, in August. And I was already looking at dumb phones that I could buy to take to the conference so that I don't take my regular phone there precisely because of it. I know what's going to happen. So I'll just take this Nokia brick phone from 10 years ago and, okay, try to hack this. But yeah, digressing. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> another thing that the the guy, the Mister, and I don't want to make the Mister Dendrick goes into, is about IT training for employees. Um, we did mention this on the train your staff episode when we talked about that. Um, he does think that's again basic stuff, but really needs to be done. And not just that, he does go ahead and say that disciplinary constructive action need to be taken on employees that either fail to take the, the security training or just fail basic stuff like phishing emails get that are sent to see if people will fall for them or not. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely true. The people should be incentivized to taking the security training seriously and people should be talked to if they fail the basic stuff. The basic stuff is not just your password hygiene, it's also the, the stuff like clicking links that you shouldn't and all of that. Again, if you're on the security side of things, that's very, very basic, but from the obvious news in <laughs> this case in point right here, it it doesn't reach the real world and it hasn't for some time. And that's why we keep seeing stories like this. Yeah. And it's I think what I think the reason why this keeps happening is due to complacency because we, as human beings, and you mentioned the human factor here, and I think this is absolutely the case, like, we're always looking for the silver lining, right? Um, you know, this this bad thing is happening, but it isn't in my neighborhood. Whew, okay, I'm fine. Um, you know, this other company got hacked. Oh, it wasn't my company. Okay, I'm good. I have a job tomorrow. Um, we, have a, we have a backup system. Okay, I'm good. So if anything happens, we could just go with the backup system. And people generally see that as like their backup system, like having it, like you have insurance, right? That makes you feel good. They see a backup system as insurance, but it is not. And I repeat, it is not insurance. That is not what a backup system is. It's not the thing that you're grateful to have so you could go on vacation. And if anything bad happens, you have backup so you can rest easy. No, okay. Backup systems suck. Your goal is to make them suck less. Okay, but they're still going to suck. But you want to make sure that you test them out, like we were saying, and do not think of backups as an insurance plan or something to be a, a sense of relief. And the only sense of relief you should ever get from your backup system is the sense of relief that you might get when you do a test and find out that the test restore was successful. Okay, that you could be happy about only for 15 minutes, but you can be happy for 15 minutes and, you know, ooh, great successful that was awesome yeah. um but just consider that it's probably going to fail and test it again the next week but it is not an insurance policy it is absolutely not that yeah 
And to close the story off, as a result of this and as a result of the, the production being stopped for so long and not being able to meet deadlines and all of this, a $100 million a year company went under. They went filed for bankruptcy and uh, closed shop after this. So a ransomware event, it can have real effects. It can have, take a business that appears solid otherwise, and they can take him under. Um, him and everyone this, that worked for him too, because there's going to be a lot of people that are uh, you know, suddenly looking for a job that didn't think that that's what they were going to be doing. Over 400 people worked for them. So that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And this was a relatively minor and small server fleet and workstation number and all of that. Uh, at TechScare, we work with companies of all sizes, obviously, but um, we have customers that are much larger than this. And if something like this happened at that scale, the result would probably be the same. But uh, but yeah, on a large company, you can you can see how, how devastating this can be. Yeah, and it is. It affects a lot of people. Um, and, you know, going back to the beginning where we talk about, you know, the, the guy looks sad. He is. I mean, it's not just yeah. that his company was taken over. I'm not trying to speak for him. It's not like I know him personally, but just in on average in general. I mean, a person in that role, what they would deal with is the sadness of losing their own company. But also the employees that trusted him to work yeah. there, as in, you know, they keep their end of the bargain, they have a job, and, you know, puts food on their table, pays, helps pay their bills. So, you know, they're, re they're relying on his business. So he let down a lot of people by this happening. And that's a lot of weight to carry on your shoulders. And it could have been avoided if there was... Um, proper attention to IT. So you really, I mean, whether you like it or not, technology is here and it's not going away. So if you're a business that wants nothing to do with it, the most minimal possible, you could end up like this. You really do need to put resources on this that will have attention to detail, will look at the things that need to be changed, um, offer to make improvements to you. They'll offer to you what, the, what should be done, have them do it. Yes, it's gonna be expensive, but losing your company is a lot more expensive. Yeah. And if you don't have the resources in-house to do it, if you don't know how to do it, who to reach out to, there are companies out there that provide you with assistance, that provide you with systems yeah. and services that will help you do this. I will plug TaxCare here. Reach out to us. We can help you with this. Um, but there are others out there that do it as well. Um, don't try to go at this solo or just keep mm -hmm. hoping that it will never happen to you because the day that it does, it might be too late. And there's always somebody that knows more than you. I don't even care, you know, how many years you have in IT. I don't, I don't care, like, how many books you've written. I don't care, you know, like, you go through all the things and learn all the things. There's always somebody that knows more than you. There's always somebody, especially when it, if you think of hackers, there's always someone that knows more than you. There's always someone that can get in, always have every your, your you know, eyes dotted, your T's crossed policies, backup, and protect yourself because um, that's what you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a sad story, but it's a real one. So yeah, um, try to learn something from it. I'm sure as hell I did. So yeah. Yep. Thanks everybody yeah. for, for joining, for listening to us yet again, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. Until next Bye. time. Till the next one.